Welcome to the GateWorld Podcast. You are listening to episode number 94 of the GateWorld Podcast. I'm Darren. I'm David. And this is the show where two nerds talk about Stargate. And it's here. It's season finale week. We've talked about Stargate Universe since October, since long before October. And 20 episodes down. This week we're talking about Incursion Part 2, the last one of Season 1. Huge episode, I think. Lots to talk about. I've got a ton of stuff in my notes. Yeah. So we'll get to that in a minute. Uh, also in this show, first I'm going to give David my Doctor Who episode picks. Uh, let's see what our Doctor Who listeners out there think of the three that I've chosen. You agreed to watch three episodes of Doctor Who to see if I could get you into the show. Have you talked with Tammy? Uh, Tammy, I think, basically swore this off and, and assigned it to me. Okay. So I think, I think she's going to be happy with my picks, though. Okay. I am ready to write them down. Now, let me say, first of all, I have some criteria that, that helped me to choose these episodes, for, one of which being that, that I just kind of know you, and you and I think alike. Uh, so hopefully I've stayed away from those that uh, turned me off, would, would turn you off as well. Okay. But I wanted to go with one doctor... And so that's clearly got to be David Tennant. Uh, going with only modern Doctor Who here. None of the, none of the older classic no. original stuff. So one Doctor, that basically ruled out the new Series 1 with Christopher Eccleston. Uh, although one of my runner-up episodes would be uh, his, his second episode. And that rules out Matt Smith, who's the current Doctor in the current fifth series. So we have three seasons plus four movies of David Tennant. I wanted to pick one adventure that's set in the past, one adventure that's set in the future or is kind of future-ish, and then one episode that's totally out of the box. Because Doctor Who does about one episode a season that's just completely out of the box. Like, it's, it's, some of these episodes are almost not even about the Doctor, about the main characters. So that should give you a nice little flavor here. Okay. So you ready? Series 2, Episode 4, The Girl in the Fireplace. This one, I think, is easy uh, for, for people to pick because it's, it's a fantastic episode. It's, it's a, an award-winning episode, one of David Tennant's finest stars. Uh, guest star is Sophia Miles, who went on to co-star with Alex O'Loughlin in Moonlight. Did you ever watch Mo Bruce Willis's Moonlighting, if that's what you're talking about? No. Different show. Vampire show. Uh, oh, eh. no, thank you. Okay, so Girl in the Fireplace is uh, one of my favorite episodes for sure. Now, the problem with episode uh, pick number two is that Doctor Who only does 14 episodes per year, if you mm -hmm. count the Christmas special. Mm -hmm. And probably about five of those are part of multi-parters, ongoing arcs. There's like a two-parter in the middle of the season, and there's a three-parter at the end of the season. You know, I didn't want to burn two out of my three choices with a two-parter. It's hard to find a self-contained story. Yeah, but, but some of those are the best stories and the best representatives. Uh, I wanted to get a classic Doctor Who villain in here for you to see. Uh, and so for episode number two, I've gone with Rise of the Cybermen in series two. Okay. Series and two. Rise of the Cybermen, I have to say, is the first half of a two-parter. Okay. So it's up to you if you want to watch the continuation. And uh, so that's, that's kind of the future-ish story, although it's, it's not actually set in the future, I don't think. Uh, and then the third episode is the out-of-the-box episode. Uh, and I think the best out-of-the-box episode that the show has done. 
uh, which was written by Stephen Moffat, who is the new showrunner and head writer for Series 5. And that is Series 3's Blink. Got it. So that's what you got. Girl in the Fireplace, Rise of the Cybermen, and Blink. Watch those three and then get back to me. I shall. I'm looking forward to it. The main discussion. Episode 20 of Stargate Universe Season 1 is Incursion Part 2. The season finale aired last week on Sci-Fi Channel in the U.S. on Space in Canada, and it just aired on Sky 1 here in the United Kingdom. So I think just about everybody's seen this. Uh, The Ukraine aired it first. Uh, I think they probably were not supposed to, but they aired it several weeks ago. So there's been a copy of Subversion and Incursion floating around on the Internet with Ukrainian language dub, voiceover (laughs) dub, for for like a month now. And then Germany aired it several days before we got it, before the States got it. So I think pretty much everybody's seen this one by now. Wow, I wasn't aware of any of that. It's been harder to avoid spoilers, though, for sure. People will grab the last three minutes of the episode and and have put it up on YouTube. Oh, jeez. Spoiler whores. After you and I talked, where I had a chance to mill over, you know, part one, um, and think about what was going to happen in part two, and I came to a couple of yep. I came to a couple of thoughts, uh, one or two of which I, I shared with you in the. Um, over I am this past week, and I wanted to know if you had any either before we go into discussing this. Um, I mean, it it sure sounds like you know. Oh, I I, uh, I came up with this after, before I saw the episode. I knew it was going to happen, but I seriously, I thought that these <laughs> things were going to happen in the episode. Um, mm-hmm. I thought that one of our series regulars or a secondary cast member was going to die. I yeah, we that. talked about that last week. Uh, and also, you know, hearing that everyone was talking, oh, it's shocking. The ending is shocking. It's thinking, well, what the hell could be shocking? And then I, I believed what would happen in this episode was that Kiva was going to shoot, um, TJ in the stomach. Yeah. I told that to you. So you are my defense. I told that to you, you a did. few days ago. Um, you told that to me before the episode aired for sure. I thought that that would be pretty dang shocking, and it would make us want to hate her. Do you want to talk about them right now, or you want to get to them in the discussion? Or or do you have any thoughts? There's lots going on in that cliffhanger, uh, including with uh, with what happens to TJ. I think we should probably talk about it in due course uh, towards the end. But yeah, you did say that to me. Um, I was thinking, as we talked about in last week's show, that, that w- there was going to be a bloodbath and, and that we were going to lose some people. You know, we talked about maybe... Sergeant Riley maybe being the Peter Groden of the season yeah. to make the the siege uh, to make the incursion stick to to give it a, a gravitas in terms of storytelling. Groden being a, a secondary character who was killed off at the end of Atlantis's first season. Um, and so yeah, I would have been bummed if they would have killed Riley. Uh, I'm glad that they didn't. But there is a big bloodbath at the end of this episode for sure. Well, the thing is, you know, we don't really know how bloody it is uh, exactly. They don't give, they don't give you any express answers. They just make you think a lot of things that might happen. Yeah. You know, Chloe shuts her eyes, for instance. No one checks Telford's pulse. Uh, Kiva's on death's door. TJ's been hit. So all these cards are now in the air. 
um, and and probably in the in the case of in the case of uh, many you know cliffhangers, most of them will come out of it. You know, but you're you're left with that feeling of oh my god, it's all coming to an end. Yeah, there's no definitive answers as to who has been killed off. If anyone, you've got to tune in in October when season two rolls around to see who survives this just horrific bloodbath. Because pretty much everybody's life is on the line except, you know, Rush and Brody are off safe in, a, in another room. And Eli is probably pretty safe. He's just running for an airlock. Yeah. If they kill Eli, I suspect elements of the show will come to a grinding halt. So I don't think that's going to happen. But, um, yeah, looking forward yeah. to this predictions later on in this discussion. Yeah, we'll talk about the cliffhanger ending after we talk about the rest of the episode, and then let's finish with predictions for Season 2. So, lots going on here. First off, um, I want to talk about Young and Camille and Kiva and the whole standoff that's going on between between the two sides. There's a lot going on last week, a lot going on this week. What did you think of the the standoff and of their their, uh, negotiation strategies? Well... I assumed that Young was going to make a move at some point. I did not expect to see Greer in civilian clothing. Um, and then uh, right at the wrong moment, uh, the, the, the power fluctuates, and Greer shows his hand. He points a gun at them. And yeah. Like, you know, this is what you get for... Um, Ronald for, Greer, he's also a medic. Yeah, yeah. That was clever, but, you know, this Trying is what you get for, one, yeah. for choosing the one person who has a trigger finger... To be in that in that situation, you got Rivers dead. Didn't work. Yeah, um, that seems to be why she shot Rivers after it was was because she thought that, I, I guess rightly so, that they were, you know, trying to pull a fast one on her. Mm-hmm. Who the hell is Rivers? Who the hell is Rivers? It's a red he, shirt. Uh, the, he's a red shirt from Destiny. The only thing that I remember him in is. Um, Life, episode 9, he was the guy who Lisa Park slept with and then ignored the next morning. Ah, okay. Well, at least so he was have, someone. Seen him before. Yeah, okay. he was somebody, but he, he wasn't one of these, you know, really significant supporting characters like Volker or Brody. Hmm. What do you think about about them choosing to kill a character that we don't know over killing one of them that... Um that we uh, have feelings for. Um, to service the story, I thought it was fine. Again, we ended up with a whole lot of, of uh, bullets and a whole lot of people. <laughs> yeah. So I think that there is somebody more significant than Rivers who probably is not going to survive. Okay. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, he's, he's basically a red shirt. Yep. Hi, guys. This is Thomas from Ontario, and I'm just calling about the season one finale of Stargate Universe. Personally, I think it was a great finale. Like, they couldn't get me any closer to the edge of my seat. We've got everyone seems to be dying. We're in a position to die in about five seconds, except Rush. Eli, who's running to an airlock, which somehow seems unsafe. Chloe's been shot. TJ looks like she, she's been shot in the stomach, which can't be good considering she's pregnant. We've got Greer and Scott stuck outside the ship, and... Looks like the entire military, all the military personnel are about to get executed. I don't see how things can get much worse, except for the fact that Colonel Telford, who I'm finally beginning to like, just got shot too. I don't know how they're going to make someone survive season two. If from, where, from what I'm seeing, it's just going to be season two, it's just going to be full of corpses. I like Kiva. This is a character, and I think you, you say it perfectly in the, uh, 
in the notes here. Yeah. This is a character who plays hardball. She makes the Lucian Alliance that we've met, the members that we've met, she makes them look like bumbling buffoons. And that, that's, a, that's the strength of her character. The only problem is that, that giving her the title of uh, – giving these, this people the title of Lucian Alliance has really done them a disservice, I think, because in comparison to these guys, the other Lucian Alliance officers that we've seen – I mean, Natan. Natan was a buffoon compared to this girl. You know, this, these people are uh, Yeah, hardcore. Natan wasn't that bad. Well, Natan was the, the leader of the Lucian Alliance in Seasons 9 and 10 of SG-1, and I didn't think that he was that bad. He was sort of incompetent. He was just always steaming and frustrated that he was out of control, that SG-1 was constantly getting the upper hand. Um, you know, I saw some of the guys like the, the Casa Farmers in, in Off the Grid. Yeah. Those guys were more bumbling, fumbling idiots. But um, Well, I mean, the whole bit with Tanat and Jupe and... Let it be known yeah, that no much. one messes with the Lucian Alliance. <sighs> well, those guys were kind of played for yucks. Yeah, but so now you've got this character, this this female character, who is a great villain, I think. You know. Yeah, tough as nails. Tough as no nails. No nonsense. Um, so it's it's making us reassess, you know, who the Lucian Alliance was and their strength and their disposition and, and you know, uh, just how pissed off they are at the universe for whatever life is handed to them. Yeah. I think the best Lucian Alliance episode uh, before SGU was uh, Company of Thieves in season 10 of SG-1. Do you remember that one? Do you yeah. remember the the name of the the sort of badass Lucian Alliance? The guy operative? who shot um, uh, Colonel, uh, what's his face? Yeah, yeah, the commander of of, of Odyssey. Uh, Odyssey. Mm-hmm. Paul, Colonel Emerson. This character's name was Anateo uh, in The Company of Thieves, and I thought that he was the strongest Lucian Alliance character to that point because he really, for the first time, gave them teeth. And so I was pretty bummed when they killed him off at the end of the episode because uh, he's this sort of character. He's, you know, Kiva is, is in that same class, I think. So again, I hope that... that Either she sticks around or one of these other guys. You know, she's got Varro, who sort of seems to be a nice guy so far. And then she's got um, this bald guy, who I don't know uh, what this character's name is, who's taken over at the end of the episode. Mm -hmm. uh, whoever sticks around from the Lucian Alliance, I hope, is really serious and has teeth. Yeah, if anyone sticks around at all, at least for a few yeah. episodes. As far as the negotiation stuff goes, though, I mean, help me figure this out. It seemed to me, watching and then re-watching the episode, that we had the upper hand pretty much the whole time. I mean, they have hostages. But other than that, we have them contained. We have uh, control of the ship. We can vent them whenever we want. Yeah, Young missed the boat on, on uh, venting the oxygen as soon as they arrived because he wanted to save Telford and Rush. But, um, you know, we've got food. They ask us for food, and we give it to them. Uh, it, we basically gave Kiva everything that she asked for, and I'm looking at Camille, and I'm looking at Young, and I'm thinking, these these two are pretty awful at this. They're, <laughs> they're just, they're not succeeding in terms of negotiation. I mean, they're they're trying to play it smart, and, you know, let's let's give them a concession to, without asking for something in return to, to you know, build trust, uh, which is not a bad idea. You know, Kiva says it. You're obviously a person who enjoys working through problems by talking. 
Yeah. Um, that's not who Kiva is. Yeah, that's the opposite of who Kiva is. Yeah. Uh, but Young says this to Camille. He knows that if they give up, you know, Camille suggests, you know, what's so wrong with giving her control of the ship? It's obviously, you know, just such an awesome ship, and we've done so much with it. Uh, Young knows that if they give it up, Kiva is going to kill everyone who is not of value to her. Yeah. And he says, that's not a hell of a lot of people. Yeah. But yeah, in their decisions, so. I mean, they're... Yeah, they've got the the pulsar thing to worry about, so it's sort of bad timing with the lights flickering and Greer pulling his weapon. But otherwise, I mean, she asks for control of the ship's systems towards the end, knowing that uh, this is an exchange for letting Greer and Lieutenant Scott go outside and fix the shield. Uh, and they give it to her. And she knows that if she doesn't let them go do this, everybody on the ship is going to die. Yeah, uh, she doesn't have the upper hand. She basically has nothing to work with except for these hostages, and they give it to her on Telford's recommendation. Um, and I was a little surprised that there was no like exchange of uh, words between Camille and uh, and Young, where um, we really want to trust him. We are we sure that we want to do this? They they spent no time with that at all. They just went to okay, Telford, you've got a good idea. Let's do it. Um, and I was surprised at that. It was like Young is waiting around for Telford to come up with a plan uh, to get them out of this jam. And Telford comes up with a plan, and they go with it. And Young is just sort of, you know, waiting around. He's kind of punting until they get there. But this whole thing kind of puts the whole military versus civilian coup that we saw in Divided in a little perspective. It's nice to see Young and Camille working together uh, because... You know, this is the sort of thing that you want to have military around for. Exactly. You have, you have bad guys invading your spaceship. They turn over control of the ship. You know, the plan is to send Rush and, is it Brody? Yeah. Off to uh, an auxiliary control room so that... Um, they got that scared and ran away. Telford, yeah, yeah, and they'll believe you. So that Telford will return control of the ship into their waiting hands. And uh, something happens, so but we'll get to that. Really seem to be basing the plan on the strong belief that Telford has not been compromised, as yeah. far as Kiva's concerned, that she still trusts him implicitly. Yeah, They just placed the lives of 80 people into this man's hands. As far as Colonel Young goes, let me put something out here and see what you think of it. At the beginning of the episode, he has this exchange with Rush. Um... There, no, it's not the beginning of this episode, is it? It's the beginning of, of part one, yeah. the beginning of the incursion. He has this exchange with Rush, uh, and we see that his goal, he's made it his goal of saving everybody. He says, in a confrontational manner to Rush, he says, you know, I'm going to save all these people. Mm -hmm. um, and so that, that strong desire to preserve life then affects all of his command decisions. And I think that that's what we're seeing here as part two works out and he makes some some choices that are not necessarily strategically the smartest because, again, they have the upper hand over Kiva. Kiva has no leverage to get what she wants and yet she gets everything that she wants. Mm -hmm. um, it's because he's trying to make sure that absolutely nobody dies. And after Rivers gets shot, you know, Young kind of loses it for a while and choose out the scientists to fix the ship and, and almost lunges at Rush when Rush uh, says, well, it had to be somebody. Might as, well have, might as well have been a red shirt. Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah. Would you rather it have been Chloe? I mean, he's he's just so blatantly direct about it. You know, he's saying what we as audience members would say. You know, oh, I'm glad it could have been Chloe, and I'm glad it was this other person, or it could have been Eli, and I'm glad it wasn't. Uh, and he just says it right then and there. But you know, Young is losing. You know, he he thought that he would save everybody, and he did not. Uh, and it just gets worse. Remember this first scene where they go and do the exchange uh, with with uh, Ronald Greer. He's also a medic, pulling his weapon. Um, the last thing that Greer says to him is, "I've got the shot. Oh. I've got the shot." Yeah. He has the ability to pull the trigger and and take out Kiva before she leaves the corridor. And Young doesn't doesn't have him do it. Um, because he knows that all the hostages will be killed. That's what I make of that. Is he's he's still operating with this. Uh, this is before Rivers gets shot. He's trying to have zero casualties mm-hmm. at the end of this. It's just uh, not possible. So he doesn't do it. And so, as hard as it is to say, this is what I want to put out here in front of you. Young, all through season one, has been my favorite character on the show. He's gotten some of the most attention in terms of character development. I love the character, but now I'm convinced. He's a terrible leader. He's just really? not any good at this. I think Rush's is really kind of right. He's just not, not good at this. He can't make a strategically good choice in this episode. Uh, in part one, he doesn't vent the air because he wants to save Telford and Rush. He goes back and reports to Jack by the communication stones about the incursion while it's happening, while they're in the middle of a crisis situation. And, uh, which yeah, I didn't bring O'Neill up. O'Neill says, get your ass back there. <laughs> and yeah. O'Neill says, you know, what are you doing here? Get your ass back to the ship. Yeah. Uh, you know, losing it and yelling at the scientists to fix it. These sorts of things, I think, show that this guy is, is you know, he's not a younger version of Jack O'Neill. He's, he's, uh, he was not going to go to destiny. He was, I think, going to retire, mm-hmm. uh, which is really what he should have done because he's not good at this. Yeah, I I have to kind of agree. Surprise, surprise there. I'm not sure he's that good a leader, but uh, we're stuck with him, so maybe that's something that he'll grow into over the course of the show. Yeah, maybe again, I still like, I like the character, for sure. Um, but things that I brought up in the past, like, you know, he'll he's very no-nonsense. He'll walk in, and, and everybody's assembled in the gate room, and when you most need an inspiring speech... He just gives two sentences, lays out the facts, and turns around and walks walks away. Uh, I, I think Rush is right. He's not a good leader. Chloe and Eli are making their way back toward uh, the neck of the ship. Yep, more walking through corridors. Banter, banter. Did you think that there was more going on with this B storyline in Part 2 than in Part 1? Um, They're trying to express um, Chloe's feelings to Eli... You know, I, I love the line, uh, why, why do you react as though I've just handed you a runner-up prize? Um, mm-hmm. Or how it was, however it was specifically phrased, you know. And you know how I feel about you, right? You know. I don't have to sit, there and, sit here and tell you that I love you. I don't have to kiss you and tell you that I love you before I take off. Um, it's nice that they weren't direct about it, that they played, they played with it a little. I think, I think Chloe once again shows her vulnerability here. She's figuring out her, who her true friends are. It's a good scene. And they get towards towards the I love you moment, and and she basically says, I know. And Eli laughs, uh, this uh, sort of exasperated laugh, and says, of course you do. Uh, And, you know, I I resonate with that. I 
I've, I've been the guy who sort of has made his feelings obvious. So, of course, the cute girl knows how you feel. And mm-hmm. it doesn't really need to be said. And in this case, it, it kind of really shouldn't be said. Good acting by Elise. Yeah. Uh, in these scenes. Very pretty powerful stuff. So they made her look pretty gaunt in the end. <laughs> she is losing some blood. Yeah, she's not doing so well. But there's it seems to be in part two there's some relationship resolution, maybe. Um I guess we'll sort of see once we get out of the crisis situation. Um I'm hoping that these two can sort of turn a corner now and that he's not continuing to be the the you know guy pining after the girl who's dating the jock. Mhm. Mhm. be a fu- that would be a good development for season 2. Yeah. Or to introduce someone for him. Some sexy young little Lucian Alliance minx. I don't know about that. Maybe someone on the <laughs> Destiny crew, but yeah. Yeah. There are a few candidates there. I don't know if he's someone who would go for the bad girl per se. So, we'll see. Hello, Darren David. This is Tim from Akron, Ohio. I'm a big fan of your podcast and the show. I want to say that I love the, the season finale. I one of the best season finales in a while. My main thought of what can happen is that I think the Lucian Alliance and the crew will join somehow. And Vero, Vero will be the reason for that. Mike Dopud is, is back once again. He's back on his feet. Yeah, on his feet. Finally has some dialogue. Spent, spent the last episode on his back, getting operated on. And he's very, very thankful to TJ. He seems um, to recognize that this is going to be a long mission. And he wants to, which is something that I did not necessarily expect. I thought he was going to be kind of a, I thought he was going to be kind of a puke. But mm. um, he, he recognizes that they're going to be out there for a while and he wants to uh, come to terms with the Destiny crew. And he says, you know, the sins of both sides are going to have to be forgiven uh, yeah. if we're, if we're going to move forward. He recognizes that he's going to be living with these people for a while and he doesn't want to keep killing them. Which again sort of resonates with me with, with Divided, with the civilian coup that we know that at some point we're going to have to get past this yeah. and continue to live with these people. Yeah, or drop them off. Well, if the Lucian Alliance wants to take the ship and wants to take control, there are only so many options. You can kill everyone on board, or you can integrate them into your crew, or you can find a planet and dump them. Get rid of them or integrate them? Which could be pretty much one step up from killing them anyway. Mm, Depending on what kind of a planet you get, yeah. Interesting. So speaking of uh, crew integration, if we do see some of these Lucian Alliance guys stick around in Season 2, um, it's sort of, people have, have, have been making this observation online, it sort of brings in the Starfleet Maquis vibe from, from early Voyager. Do you think that's a fair observation? Yeah, yeah it's, it's, that's a pretty fair observation. Criminals and, uh, and military personnel and civilians so you've got instead of the two groups you've got three groups i hope that the lucian alliance stick around for a little while after the uh yeah, yeah me too. after this whole event now we don't know like in season two we don't know what the time period is for these episodes it may not be like every episode takes the course over a couple of days the the first few episodes may just take cl- take place in a few hours so we'll see yeah it would be nice to keep them around i think that 
Stargate Universe has the opportunity to do something that Voyager didn't, which is integrate these crews and, and have it continue to be sort of a threatening thing. You know, the Maquis were tamed pretty quickly in season one of Voyager. Yeah, which wasn't really their uh, intent, it just kind of happened. Yeah, and that was something that I felt the show lost, that they, they could have done more with that over the course of, of several seasons, even. Yeah. Um, have that continue to be sort of a palpable tension. Yeah. Uh, but it ended up Chakotay is just a darn nice guy. <laughs> so with universes as, as uh, sort of dark and gritty and serious as it is, I think could could play that out a little bit up a little bit more intensely. But Varro, I mean, as far as Varro goes, he seems to be likable. I mean, in the, these scenes with TJ, he's a likable guy. He's trying to thank her. He's trying to mend fences, even with the crisis situation still going on. Um, He's not a jerk. He's he's kind of nice. We find out that uh, the ship has nothing to do with uh, the guy that got fried. There's a pair of pulsars that are almost directly above the ship. And uh, when the shield broke, the guy got exposed to x-rays and gamma rays and was completely singed. So Just it's... sort of a fortunate coincidence for Telford. Mm-hmm. It apparently wasn't Franklin or Destiny doing it on purpose. Mm-hmm. I mean, I suspect that something might happen with them at some point, but uh, we got an answer to that, which I wasn't expecting that to be resolved. So this is a cool uh, ad tension sci-fi premise. Uh, Pulsar gives off these giant bursts of radiation every 46 minutes and change. Towards the end of the episode, we have to have Scott and Greer get on the suits and go outside to basically tell the ship to only cover the top part of Destiny, not the bottom part. For the most part, yeah. So that we increase our power enough that the ship can jump to FTL. Well, I mean, we give us time to fix the FTL. FTL's broken, again. I didn't get the impression that it was broken. I got the impression that the ship didn't have enough power to do both. Well, Rush says, uh, sure, I'll put on the suit if you want to stay here and fix the FTL. Oh, yeah, he did say that, didn't he? Hi, this is uh, Joe from Lancaster, New York. I'm calling in about Incursion, part two. Um, I got to say, I was kind of disappointed by this episode. It uh, really wasn't what I thought it would be. Um, They were saying a lot about uh, there's going to be a wow factor, something that we weren't going to be anticipating would happen. And I really didn't see that. Um, Nobody really died uh, that I thought would. I thought maybe one of those would die, Um, especially when Eli and Chloe were being sucked out that uh, airlock. I thought maybe they would die, one of them somehow there, but didn't. And uh, they just killed somebody that we really didn't know about. So I thought that uh, that wasn't good. And then on top of it, um, it kind of just feels everything's out of place. Like, I kind of don't like it. I'm so used to a format of what's been going on in the Destiny. Like, um, it makes me feel like at the end of Season 2 of Battlestar Galactica, when they jumped a year forward, it kind of felt like everything was out of place, and I really didn't want to watch it anymore. So um, I hope they fix that next season, and uh, I can, you know, see something a lot better. So the guys, Greer and Scott, get to go outside. Um, before that, though, they have this nice little scene in the corridor where Greer yeah. basically tells Scott to man up. Once yeah. he's learned that Chloe is missing. Yeah. Uh, nice little bromant. Yeah, they do that a lot. Gur's always always pushing Scott to be a man, be a man, you know, suck it up. Always doing that with him. Because Scott can be this emotional sap. Does this make you think more of Greer or less of Scott? I am all for Greer pushing Scott to, to be stronger. Um, 
because that that needs to happen. And Scott's mind does have a tendency to wander, uh, mm. and you know, worry about people, fret. Uh, he does appear to do that. I think I think one of Greer's best traits is that, you know, he he ha- he always operates with the mission in mind, and he's trying to tell Scott, "Come on, I need you here. Snap out of it. Let's do this. Otherwise, they're all gone. Not just Chloe." I like the fact that uh, you have basically uh, an enlisted sergeant, uh, uh, an, an enlisted marine, giving this man up, talking to to a, a, an officer. And I think that we're meant to believe that Matt hasn't been out of the academy very long. I mean, I think you're basically a lieutenant when you when you finish Air Force Academy. So do we know that maybe Icarus was Matt's first sort of serious assignment, significant assignment? I suspect that that's, uh, after his Stargate training, I suspect that that's uh, the intent. He's only been on the job for six months. He hasn't seen much action. But yeah, just the fact that I uh, was getting this from the enlisted man I like. We get this this great EV sequence uh, down the nose, the side of the nose of the ship. Great visuals. Um, a little implication that Destiny is old and that her, uh, her switches and levers aren't uh, in prime working condition. I was wondering if that was actually going to be a problem, but they managed to close the valve or whatever it was and um, rotate the shields. Not exactly the the best uh, place to put such a. Um, you think that they would be, would have been able to do that at the Apple Core, but they have to go outside the ship to remodulate the shield. It's made for a good excuse to get them trapped, and I think that's the point. Yeah, and it makes sense that the ship is not able by by default by by just messing around on the consoles to be able to have the shield cover only part of it. It mm-hmm. makes sense that the shield would have to go all the way around the ship. And maybe you could dial up the tensile strength here and there differently. Mm-hmm. But Didn't you kind of see it coming that they were going to get stuck out there after they go outside and serve their purpose, that they weren't going to get back in? Well, this is one of the problems, I think, with the plan uh, that Telford has is we transfer control over the ship. And you know you've got two guys out there. It's up to Kiva to let them back in. That's definitely a gamble. But yeah, I wonder why you can dial down the tensile strength of the shield enough for them to go in and out of the hole, but you can't dial it down enough that it's basically not on so that you save the power. It took me a while to figure out all the moving pieces. So Telford's plan is basically we're going to, you know, she wants control of the, the control systems in the computer, so we'll transfer all that over to her. We'll say that Rush ran away because he's a coward. Telford's gonna gonna once we get what we want, get the guys outside to fix the shields. Then Telford's gonna sneak away to this console, and and uh, he goes and he shoots the power relay in order to distract, distract sort of the guy face, who was working yeah. at the console. Tell him to to move on out, and then he starts transferring all the commands back. Meanwhile, all of our guys have given up. All the military are waiting in the corridor with their hands on their heads, uh, basically surrendering to the Lucian Alliance, which I have a quibble about. Apparently with the intention of we, we want to get all of our people together in one room, so we're going to vent the air out of all the other rooms and, and uh, basically do to the Alliance what Young was supposed to do at the beginning of Part 1. But it doesn't work. The transfer stops for whatever reason. That's it's, it's one of my quib- I was going to make it a quibble, but I guess yeah, uh, we, mine can too. Say it. we can say it here. I mean, they, they both shoot each other. Kiva and Telford shoot each other. And for whatever reason, the transfer process stops. And I thought originally that the fact that it, the transfer had stopped meant that Kiva had survived. Kiva had stopped had it. Deliberately stopped it, had turned it off. But that was not the case. They were both lying on the floor. 
So it seems someone has to be there to continue that it's it's not one big transfer process it's i guess it's like directory has to be it's transferred system. i don't know yeah yeah um, I mean, so maybe we got some systems back but not all yeah and that the, the transfer had to be initiated system by system that would make sense yeah but rush has this line where he says he's not going to give them control he says she can have control until i say she can't and retain the ability to take back control of the systems uh, that didn't seem to be the way that the plan actually worked out mm-hmm I'm not sure what that line was about. Well, maybe there's an ace up their sleeve somewhere. I suspect Young has control of something, and we'll see uh, that come into play next season. Also, Eli. Yeah. Eli is out there, and um, he's going to be our Wesley Crusher, and somehow he's got, he's got to save the day. Mm. I suspect that if, if they get dumped on a planet, uh, he's going to have something to do with them getting back. So let's get to this cliffhanger ending. Um, our, the Lucian Lions guys come in and they find Kiva and Telford both lying on the floor. And um, and uh, the bald lieutenant guy, I'm sorry, I don't know his character's name. He takes over and he thinks that Young has somebody in there. That there is an enemy, yeah. one of Young's guys, got in and shot both Kiva and Telford. He hasn't figured out yet that Telford was, was uh, not with them anymore. Mm-mm. So he flips out. And, you know, orders the, the civilians separated from the military. We're left with the impression that the military is about to be gunned down. Yeah, yeah, they're forcing them to their knees, that they're just going to execute Colonel Young and, and all the military. Meanwhile, you've got TJ in the surgery room. She's got some other hostages from our side that she's now attending to their wounds. And one of them grabs a Lucian Alliance guy yeah. who has his finger on the trigger of a weapon. And they spin around and bullets go flying. And basically everybody in the room goes it's down. It's taken out, yeah. Varro makes it and uh, Koss makes it. Another Lucian Alliance guy. Oh, Koss. He makes it. I didn't see that. Yeah, he made it. Gruesome gunshot to yeah. take out. To I was right. I, I was half right. Kiva didn't do it, but she did get shot in the stomach. There was no way that that baby was going to make it. I just didn't believe yeah. it. Yeah, I think that, that you, on a show like this, you can't keep a baby around and do what, what they did with Taylor's baby on Atlantis. Mm-hmm. That there's just a baby on Destiny, and you have to take care of it. Um, so, yeah, it doesn't, doesn't surprise me. But Telford may be dead, which wouldn't surprise me if he does die. Kiva's been shot. Telford's been shot. TJ's been shot. Uh, Young and, and all the military are about to be executed. Uh, and meanwhile, Greer and Scott are running across the outside of the hull to try and uh, make it to an airlock so that they can get inside before mm-hmm. the pulsar goes off again. And Eli's running underneath them. Eli's trying to, to get to the airlock to open it for them. I suspect that that is the very last that we see of Kiva. I don't suspect that we'll see her in, in uh, the opening episode. I have a sneaking suspicion. I do, too. I think that we're just going to get a report that she has expired, and we're not yeah. actually going to see the actress. Which reminds me of Colonel What's-His-Name from The Siege in Atlantis. Everett, Dylan Everett. But he came back in Siege 3. Yeah, he was back in the opener for Season 2, but uh, it seemed like one of these characters that they introduced with the the potential of him being recurring, and then uh, it didn't work out, so they wrote him out, and then they brought in Caldwell. So for whatever reason, I think I think we're not going to see much more of Kiva, if anything. The music, I've got to say, the music for the um, last half of this episode... Last mm-hmm. 20 minutes or so was excellent. Yeah, I um, loved it. Really intense. Good stuff. Props to Joel Goldsmith. Wow. And some neat shots of uh, of Destiny, some neat visual effects 
sequences walking along the nose of the ship seeing destiny's wing in the background really well done you know seamless my coolest shot from the episode was telford and kiva shooting each other yeah because there's no standoff there's no sort of confrontation of hey i suspected you were not on our side anymore there's just none of that no they They both pull their weapons and shoot hello from trevor wells in the uk i recently discovered your podcast which I find useful as I watch SGU on German television, which I only partly understand. Last night they showed the two-part finale as a mini-movie. It was an overlong hostage situation with no conclusion. I find the body swap stones confusing. The earthbound episodes were like watching Dallas. Let's have more sci-fi and less conflict. Using characters from Stargate shows us what SGU is missing. Bring back the theme tune. Keep up the good work. I'm wondering about the shooting of TJ. You speculated that Kiva might shoot her in the stomach. I'm wondering if this accidental shooting, the way that she did go down, um, is this not bold enough for SGU? And I was thinking about this suggestion that Kiva could shoot her, and I think that probably it wouldn't pass standards. I think that that, uh, that the network just would not allow that sort of thing. Really? Yeah. I thought it would have made for a really strong ending. Uh, if if it's Kiva pretty psycho, her. if that would happen, she gets shot by accident. The baby gets yeah. shot by accident. Um, you know, it had to be, and that that's one way to do it. It wouldn't have been my preferred way, but it's done. So. Yeah, I think there were more. Uh, there were bolder ways that it could have been done, but. I would not necessarily want to see them. Yeah. I think that if you have a bad guy shoot a pregnant woman in the stomach on purpose, I mean, I like I like some dark sci-fi, but that's pretty dark. And I don't know if I could keep watching the show if something like that happened as a father. I think the Marine who sets off the, the gunfire earns the Idiot of the Year award. <laughs> that was a strategically bad move to go for the gun at that yeah. point. Yeah, well, he got wiped out for it. Uh, did you think that this cliffhanger was too big? Was there too much going on? It's it's really pushing the the please come back and watch part three button. Like it kind of felt like sensory overload to me, with just everybody being about to die or maybe yeah, dead. They really wanted to position all nine or pretty much every single person in a position of jeopardy for the for the yeah. break. It works. I do. Yeah, I don't. I don't expect that that Scott and Greer are in any danger. I think that 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 resolution, that cliffhanger, is is uh, it's not much of a question to me that Eli's going to make it to the airlock yeah. and they're going to get in. So you know, maybe we're straying into our season two predictions at this point. Um, but I will say the last shot of the episode with the the soldiers coming into to the room and and the young refusing to get down on his knees. You see the 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 gun yeah, gesture the barrel. a couple of times, the barrel of the gun, to get down on your knees and uh, and fading out with the with the power failure. I thought that's brilliant. That was really, Just really slick. such a cool shot. Yeah, props to Andy Makita, who directed the episode, and Joe Malazzi, who wrote it, and everybody else who was involved. That last shot is, is just fantastic. Very memorable. The score is fantastic, and the lighting is fantastic on that. So, yeah. predictions. Who will live and who will die? I think I've said most of mine. I suspect Telford is dead. I suspect Kiva is dead. I suspect the baby is dead. Um, I agree. I, I hope that we're going to see a little bit more of Telford. 
I hope that he's not quite dead. I hope that Lou Diamond is in the premiere, but I don't expect him to, to be... I mean, his story's kind of come full circle, hasn't it, with him being, uh, being freed from the brainwashing and, and redeemed a bit uh, in the end of the season. Uh, I don't expect him to stick around on Destiny long-term. I think he's going to be a goner. Um, I think he is dead. I think, I think the baby's dead, as horrible as that is to say and to see. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that the way that, that that's the way that the story is going to be resolved. Um, but the other guys, you know, I think Chloe's fine. Greer and Scott are fine. They're going to make it. Um, I think we're going to see Varro's going to stick around and, and some Evolution Alliance guys, and, and I think we're going to get a little bit of a Maquis versus Starfleet uh, parallel here. It's time for Quibbles. My first quibble is uh, running along the hull of the ship at the end, uh, trying to make it to the airlock. Uh, this is a minor quibble, but just the way it was shot, the way that the guys were running it, seemed like the gravity factor of the, the physics was not quite working the way it should. They were, they were getting a good bounce on their run, where it seems like, um, you know, if their suits are, are using, you know, gravity boots to, to magnetically lock them to the hole, but they can't run like that. So maybe this is a question about the suits, and, and are, are they gravity boots, or does the ship itself generate a, a low-level gravity field on the, on the external hull? Yeah, they, they didn't uh, indicate either way. They keep on referring to this hole in the ship, this hole in the ship that, uh, you know, is... Uh, is over the section. You know, they, they've used it once before in Divided, and they used it in this one as well. There are two holes, and they seem to have forgotten that. They don't, they don't use that. There are two holes in the ship. There's one that the aliens made, and there's one that Rush and Chloe made when they came back, and they've forgotten about that second hole. Oh, yeah. Why didn't we use that other hole to get to the outside of the ship? Yeah, we don't really know where the other hole is. It's probably not with Volution Alliance, and that makes it uh, uh, the best decision to go <laughs> with. Yeah, well, there were other ways to access the external part of the ship. There are airlocks, but um, the point was that this hole was the closest to where we need to go. When we find out about the Pulsar, uh, Brody notes that it was just it's sort of bad timing and bad luck, is what he said. That Destiny received the incoming wormhole and had to stop where it was uh, in range of this pulsar and now it can't get back into ftl my quibble is whether destiny would have some some self-preservation protocols that maybe would allow it to delay an incoming wormhole or maybe deny an incoming wormhole if uh, it's if it has to stop at some place that is a direct threat to it yeah, that's a fair point. It's survived for millions upon millions of years by itself. I mean, they, they emphasize that it's bad luck that, you know, if there wasn't an incoming wormhole, Destiny would have proceeded on her way and this would not have happened. But still, you know, she's she's got herself, for the first time, it seems, in a situation where she may be stuck permanently. And that is, um, that's pretty bad luck. Yeah, I mean, with all the things that over the course of Season 1 that Destiny seems to be doing deliberately, you know, consciously, taking us to these planets that have resources that we need. My last quibble is uh, when I rewatched the episode, again, I think there is an explanation for why this choice was made. Uh, Kiva asked for control of the command systems. She basically wants access to the ship's systems via the computer terminals. And in response, we gave her that and surrendered all of our personnel to her. 
So we gave her actually much, much more than she asked. Uh, and so my quibble is over surrendering everybody to the Lucian Alliance. And the explanation given in dialogue, again, is that we want to get all of our people uh, where they think that they've got us, and they stick us all in a room. And then Space. Rush is able to vent the atmosphere from everywhere else so that our guys are, are safe. Mm-hmm. Little uh, little Trojan horse. But still, this is a huge, huge risky move. Mm-hmm. This is a woman, Kiva, who has already shot one guy in cold blood just because she needed to blow off some steam. And uh, so Young basically decides, even if Rush gets all the, the controls back, we've put every single member of the crew at the mercy of this woman. Rewatching the episode, the other thing that irritated me was the prisoner exchange that took about 15 minutes to get through that whole process became irrelevant when they took control of the ship at the end. So mm. uh, you're going back and rewatching. It's like, okay, this is not going to work. Why are we're wasting our time on this? Um, to when I would have preferred us seeing other things, and then you know, going to that at the end where we had to where we surrendered. Now, because it's just, I mean, the point is it, that that whole sequence is made moot by the end of the show. Yeah, I appreciate the fact that we want to get to the point where the Lucian Alliance is a real threat, where they are basically in power, in control. And then when we come back, all of our guys are in, in seemingly hopeless situations and we have to get out of it. Um, I see that that's the end goal that we have to get to. But in order to get there, it seemed to me like you really have to, to make, you know, make Colonel Young just have some awful, awful decisions. He and Camille are just not very good at this game. You're listening to the GateWorld Podcast. For full coverage of Incursion Part 2, head over to GateWorld. We already have a high-quality screen capture gallery, the transcript. Man, Callie kicked this transcript out in less than 24 hours. Isn't that something? online on Saturday. Fantastic. Uh, we'll continue to give ongoing coverage of Incursion and all of Season 1 as we go through the rest of the summer. Now we've got three and a half months until the season premiere of Season 2 in October. And a few more pieces of listener mail to get to. Let's listen. Hi, this is Mark. I was just listening to your Incursion Part 1 podcast and your quibble about the Lucian Alliance not bringing energy weapons um, to the Destiny. And you... Both stated that you know you've always seen the Lucian Alliance with energy weapons, and that's not really the case. Off the Grid, Camelot, and Company of Thieves, and probably other episodes have all shown the Lucian Alliance to use projectile weapons. Mark, uh, good point. I was fairly certain that you know they had projectile weapons uh, in the past, that, but my point is that they do have access to energy weapons, and if you're going to be out there for the long haul. You wouldn't want to take anything that would run out. It doesn't make sense. As smart as Kiva is, it doesn't make sense that she would use anything but energy weapons. Yeah, they planned for this. They planned for this a long time. Um, There's a line that I wanted to ask you about, actually. There's a line. I put this down in my notes where she says... When we do this again? Yeah. Yeah. Next time we take supplies with us in the first wave. Is there another destiny out there that you're planning on taking over? I mean, what was the... Is she just talking about pushing farther into the ship and gaining more territory? Or is she talking about the next time we invade Destiny? Is she, are, are, do they have a long-range plan of trying to get to one of the I, that's. I wonder if that's a red herring. I, I don't know what that means. And he says if there is a next time. Yeah, there's a supply issue going on for sure, and it would make a lot more sense that they bring energy weapons. Hey, it's Brian from Toronto. I had my first Stargate comic book guy moment when listening to open mic night and they were talking about whether Eli would have recognized the Stargates 
from watching Wormhole Extreme. This is actually kind of unlikely because Wormhole Extreme nowhere near as popular as Stargate is in real life. Citizen Joe makes a reference to it having been canceled after only one episode. This is a good point. We were debating in a previous show as to whether the episode 200 was canon or not. Uh, at the end of that, we see that, that uh, Wormhole Extreme has gone for 10 years and had the same success that SG-1 had in, in, in our real life. Um, there is that reference in Citizen Joe, but remember, 200 came after Citizen Joe by yep. a couple of years. And it's in 200 that, that Martin Lloyd gets the news that, you know, we're making a movie and they want the TV series back. So there had only been those few episodes on DVD yep. by the time Citizen Joe rolled around. Is that right? Yep. That's right. Hi, this is Joe from uh, Lancaster, New York. I kind of have a off-the-beat kind of question for you guys. I was wondering where to get your thoughts on it. What would you think of a Stargate uh, series, you know, a spinoff that actually took place in the past, maybe following the ancients, maybe back when they first built Atlantis, um, something like that. I just want to know what your guys' thoughts were on that and what you think if there could be an actual successful series. Thank God Rob Cooper is not uh, interested in producing prequels because I have no interest. No interest yeah. whatsoever. He said I that don't... to us on Sydney about prequels. Yeah, he said it uh, personally to us, and I remember saying right then and there, thank God. Yeah, I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, I don't have a whole lot of interest in prequels, uh, as as much as I love the mythology of the ancients. Well, thanks, everybody, for your voicemail this week. Lots of good stuff. There will be more weeks to talk. And this week's listener question, we're going to come back next week on June 23rd and do our overall Season 1 recap show for SGU. So here is the listener question. Did the first season of Stargate Universe live up to your expectations? What was its single greatest strength and its greatest weakness? Answer honestly. So as much controversy as the show has seen, and David and I have, have been, I think, 99% supportive of the show, we do want to give it a fair shakedown. We want to hear from all sides. If there was an element of the show that's really got you jazzed and excited about Stargate, uh, if you're a first-time Stargate viewer and have not watched uh, SG-1 or Atlantis before, we want to hear from you. If you if you have uh, criticisms of the show, we want to hear those, too. We want to deal with them fairly. Greatest strength, greatest weakness, June 23rd. And then on June 30th, we'll talk about the episode and the year, 2010. Sorry, 2010. <laughs> then and now. So how does the future that we saw in uh, the episode 2010 compare to the way that, that the past decade has actually worked out in the Stargate universe? That's June 30th. And that's our show for this week. Thanks for tuning in. If you have an answer to this week's listener question or anything else Stargate-y that you would like to talk about, Stargate. give us a call on the hotline. David, what's that no? That no? That no is 951-262-1647. And you can also email in a brief audio recording to webmaster at gateworld.net if you'd rather send in your response that way. And as always, check out the show notes on the website for podcast number 94, Incursion Part 2. And you can post on the podcast feedback thread at GateWorld Forum. Sounds Are we ready to good. wrap this up? Let's wrap it up. From GateWorld, this is Darren. This is David. We'll see you back here next week for more of the GateWorld podcast. You can go, go.